0: Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. listening to the Notable Peeps podcast. Hello, my name's Steph, and today I have with us Kathy Headley. And Kathy is a Notable Peep that was nominated by her coworker Tanner Crandall. And I just wanted to share what Tanner had to say about Kathy. He said, "I nominated Kathy as a Notable Peep for two major reasons. One, because she is a truth seeker and is constantly making effort to become what she learns. And two, she founded Mothers Without Borders as a single working mom, which has served hundreds of thousands of vulnerable children and families over the last 25 years. Because of her unique experience, which blends her search for truth and her work with children and family around the world, she tells incredible stories and inspires everyone that she comes in contact with. So that's what, what Tanner had to say. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you. That's a high bar. <laughs> thank, you, <Tanner. laughs> yes, thank you, Tanner. Yes. Thank you, Tanner, for nominating Kathy. So you are a mom of seven kids, right?
1: I had four Four children, and then I adopted a little girl from Romania, Uh and then I married someone that had two younger children, and I raised those children. Okay. So all together, yeah, in our family, we had a blended family of...
0: Of seven kids, seven kids, which that's a lot of kids. So that's a big, it makes your schedule very busy and everything. So, yeah. hearing mothers without borders, and mm-hmm. and I first heard about you from Holly on the Hill, where she, she's a mom of twenty something kids yeah I'm a rookie (laughs) compared to Holly (laughs) (laughs) but she talked about going with mothers without borders and you know I'm just always impressed with these moms that that you are able to find time to not only serve your family but serve other people in the community and and in other countries as well so do you want to tell us a little bit about your story
1: well, it's a great question, and I, I want anybody who's listening, you know, who's a mom with little kids at home and, you know, who wants to, like, reach through the microphone and slap me, <laughs> um, I want you to know, take a breath, everything is okay. I actually started doing these kinds of things, reaching out to people in my own community and in communities where I traveled and where I had an opportunity to go before I started having children, and because it was an interest of mine, humans have always been really intriguing and interesting to me, and other cultures have been interesting to me. And so, when I began having children, I looked for ways that I could incorporate this passion and this love that I have to include people of all diversities and all different cultures into my life. I looked for ways to incorporate that into my raising my children. So I was very fortunate in the beginning part of my raising my children. I was very lucky to be able to be a stay-at-home mom. And this gave me opportunity to look around my own community and find ways that I could involve my children in reaching beyond our home into being part of other people's lives. So when my children were very young, we did things locally in our community, like go to the homeless shelter and throw a birthday party for whoever was in the homeless shelter on that day. We treated it like it was their birthday, and we threw them a birthday party. Or doing things with people in battered women's shelters, or looking for kids who were in the foster care system in our community and seeing ways that we could create opportunities for them to find a little more joy in their lives. So. I just made it a part of my raising my kids. I didn't, uh, I didn't create a business. I wasn't trying to create an organization. I loved being home and raising my kids. And I was looking for ways for them to be able to reach outside of our home and connect their hearts and their abilities to give and share and also for them to recognize that every person we interacted with had something valuable to share with us. And so I was just trying to create those
0: insights with my children. Well, and when you first started you're like any of you moms that have young kids and you want to reach across <laughs> microphone slap me. In? I love that honesty <laughs> because it, it sounds like it was a gradual process and that you just looked for what you could do right there w- with your kids and and the birthday party idea I mean it There really are so many ways that you can make someone's day, even if it's just paying for the next customer line or, you know, like these little things that sometimes we forget about in our day-to-day busy life.
1: Yeah, it's really, really true, Stefan. I think one of the most significant lessons I've learned over the years is that every single moment is of equal value. So I believe And I I believed when I was raising my children, and it's played out, and I believe it even more strongly today, that if I was changing my baby's diaper or doing the dishes or putting a load of laundry in, that moment was as significant as if I were assisting a homeless person to prepare themselves for a job. One experience was not of more value than another. And so for me, it became a matter of, becoming attentive to what was going on around me. If we were in a park situation, if I'd taken my kids to the park and I could see that there was someone that felt left out or that wasn't being included, that was an opportunity for me to gather my kids around me and express that and say, look at that little boy over there. What do you think he's feeling? What do you think is going on? Is there anything we can do to make his day better today? And one of my kids would say, I'm going to go play with him on the slide. Well, how can that experience be of less value in, in all of humanity, in the scheme of things, than, you know, building school? it isn't of less value it's of equal value because it takes place in a specific moment between two humans and there's something really magical that happens when we see each other when we reach out to each other and when we when we express that we care by being ourselves and that to me is beginning and the creation of peace in the world is humans one at a time just looking at each other and saying i see you i hear you you got this and and so that's kind of i never i never started i actually didn't start mothers without borders until i was kind of forced to kind of what happened was as i began creating these experiences for my children other people came to me and said this is so awesome. Look at what you're doing with your kids. Can you help me figure out how to do that with my family or my siblings or my kids or my grandkids or whatever? And and I said, sure. So I started kind of putting together ideas for people and starting to facilitate things and it started to grow. And And I found I had a little bit of a knack for noticing things and putting people together. And so I actually was doing things with my kids for probably 15 years before it got to the point where we'd started doing some things internationally. And a lot of people were coming forward and saying, how can we get involved? And, you know, people had said over the years, why don't you start your own nonprofit? Well, I I didn't want to was my simple reason mm-hmm. it's like i'm happy with things the way they are why if it's not broke why yeah. fix it but soon it got big enough there were enough people engaged there were enough people that wanted to be a part of it that i needed to create some structure by that time my children were older they were in high school they were in junior high they were they were busy in their own right and so i did in after probably well probably more than 15 years of doing these activities around the globe. In 2000, I finally incorporated it and got 501c3 status and created a structure and named it Mothers mm-hmm. Without Borders.
0: Okay. First off, before I interviewed you, I'm like, man, you've done all this humanitarian work. And I'm like, I need to really reach out more. <laughs> but then just hearing you be like, you know what, if you're doing a lot of laundry or changing kid's diaper or whatever, that's like... No less like significant than helping someone that's homeless. And I I just think that. Uh, These little opportunities to look where you're at and see how you can serve, that is such a good reminder. And And if you're
1: doing it in love, you know, if you're doing it resentfully, if you're doing it because you don't want to, then that's the energy you're putting out there into the world. You're putting out resentment and anger and frustration. But if you do something lovingly, if you do something with care, if you do something because you care about another human, if you see somebody in a grocery store that's struggling and you give them a look that says... I feel your pain and I care about you. That's humanitarian work. It may not be written up, but that's humanitarian work. Whenever we interact in a generous way and with compassion to another human, we are engaged in humanitarian work.
0: That is a great quote right there. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So so your kids are a little bit older. Well, actually, can we go back? I want to know, so what was the first trip that you guys went on to – We lived in San Diego for a number of years when I was raising my
1: kids. And so it became very natural to go uh, across the border into Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I started taking my kids into Mexico. I started taking other families in with us. And one thing kind of led to another. I found organizations and agencies that were doing more structured humanitarian development work, either in the field of health development or um, community development. And I just started learning and seeing how can we add value? How can non-technically trained volunteers, which is a, which is a really fancy way to say, families with kids. Mm-hmm. How can we add value? to what these organizations and agencies are doing. So I looked for ways that we could fit in with the organizations and add value and bring service. And and I just basically asked them, what do you need us to do? And that started me down a road of, of awakening and learning that said, I need to ask the people that we're looking to serve, what do you need? And I started to trust and understand and believe that local people have the answers to their problems. They don't always have the resources, but they always know what they need. And so being willing to be in partnership with other people and say, tell me what you need. And as long as it was within a framework of what my values were, then – and what I mean by that is if I ask somebody, what do you need? And they said, I need a Mercedes-Benz. I just really need a or mercedes Or I need drugs. Or, <laughs> yeah. I would say to them – and usually it's the Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> then I would say to them, well, I wish you all the best. And I hope you get one because I'm a big believer in abundance. I have an abundance mentality myself. Mm -hmm. And it's like, good for you. I hope you get a Mercedes. I, however, am not going to go buy you one. (laughs) So as long as someone was coming to me saying, you know, we want our kids in school. We want clean water in our community. We want to have access to toilets so that we don't have these diseases coming into our community from poor sanitation. Then I could engage and say, let's get busy. Let's get busy. Let's find answers. And so then my work became about helping local people start to make their own assessments. Like what are the biggest problems your community faces? What are the local resources that are available to you? And how can we access those resources? And how can we help you access those resources? And then if there was a gap, where there were no local resources to meet a local problem, we would then start to work in that gap and look for outside resources and find partners that would come in and help them. And so bit by bit, we were able to work on projects that uh, made a difference in in a community's quality of living, around the world. So by going into Mexico, then someone approached me and said, would you be willing to come into Bolivia and do some work? Would you be willing to come in and do an assessment with a woman's group in the Altiplano of Bolivia or in Ecuador or in Peru or in Honduras? And so I did. And as often as I could, I would schedule those trips at a time when I could take one or two of my children with me. And it just, one thing just kind of led to another and word spread and more people started approaching me. And sometimes I said yes, sometimes I had to say no. And it just kind of grew from there. It had a, it, it, it truly had a life of its own. Now, going all the way back, I felt from the time I was a small child that I saw myself doing this kind of work. So I was kind of surprised when I got married and started having kids because I thought, huh, I used to always see myself, even as a very young child, I saw myself in other countries working alongside people. And so I think I was always moving in that direction my whole life.
0: That's so cool that as a kid you had that picture of... Mm. Of what you thought that you would be doing. In them. And I thought
1: everybody thought. I thought everybody thought that's what they would be doing. So when I got to be a teenager and I would share this and people would say, You're so weird. And that's a theme that continues. You're so weird. It's like, It's no. true. No, it's true. No, no, it's true. I am. It's like, Yes, thank you. So are you.
0: We're all interesting ducks. Mm -hmm. As you were talking about how these people are like, we want clean water or we want to be able to have like bathrooms. And I I guess I just realized that I have never really seen poverty to that degree. And so what does that type of poverty really look like? So I, I get a lot of people that come to
1: me and say, oh, I would love to go with you because we take teams of volunteers with us into Zambia, which is a very safe country, a very peaceful country in Africa, but there's a lot of poverty there. And so for a lot of people, they think I couldn't see that I would just cry all the time. Well, the truth is I cry every day. I cry every day when I see suffering and it's not because I feel bad for those people, but because I feel the pain that they're in. I I allow myself to feel it. And what I found is that you have an enormous, and I have an enormous, and everyone, every person on this planet has an enormous capacity to experience and express compassion. Everyone does. But we're afraid of it. We're afraid that we're going to get into that situation and we will fall short. You won't. You don't. You can't. Your divine self, who you are as a beingness, is big enough that you can experience and express compassion for anyone. So what does it look like? It looks like a mother with three or four children and a newborn baby, and she doesn't have enough money to put food on the table, and there's no job in sight, and she might not have a place to live. She might be living on the streets with her kids and sleeping in ditches and digging through trash cans. To try to find enough food for her children. It might be a woman who has, who's experiencing uh, HIV/AIDS. And so, with her newborn baby, she can only nurse, breastfeed her baby for a very short period of time. If she breastfeeds the baby any longer, she risks passing the disease on to that baby. So, she has to make this horrible choice between watching her baby starve to death because she can't afford the formula. Or feeding her baby from her body, giving that baby breast milk, knowing that she's passing on a disease that will then kill her baby in a very terrible way three or four years down the road. It looks like, I think it's close to two-thirds of the world's population does not have access to clean water. So two weeks ago, I was in Zambia, They're in the midst of a very terrible cholera epidemic. And cholera is a terrible disease. It kills in a very terrible way and it causes an enormous amount of suffering. And so, families and women and children and men who are debilitated by this disease because they don't have any toilets in their community, because they don't have a clean water system. And so, because of those two simple things, people are suffering and struggling. It looks like you know the I think it's like five thousand, and I don't like statistics because they change and and I don't know how accurate they are, but I think it's over five thousand children every day and if I'm wrong on that, then you know somebody write into you and say she was way off <laughs> but anyway, it's too many, too many children who get bit by a mosquito because they don't have a mosquito net over their bed and die a very terrible death, and if they don't die, they suffer terribly, so You know, there's. I think there's estimated to be 2 billion people on the planet who survive on less than a third of a cup of rice a day. And two-thirds of the world's population has no access to clean water. I don't know the number of people who don't have proper, they say proper sanitation, which is a nice way to say they don't have a toilet. And because they don't have a toilet, then they have all kinds of disease and suffering. But these are moms and dads and teenagers and children that are exactly like you and me they're exactly like me and you me and you these mothers that come to me just weeping and say please help me we've had nothing to eat but green mangoes for 3 days and my children are dying you either step into it and allow it to enlarge your heart or it turns you away and people close their eyes so i'm part of why i do what i do is to invite people and encourage people and saying you don't have to close your eyes you can see hard things You can see hard things and you can be a force for light and a force for good and a force for compassion. And whatever bit you put in is enough. It's enough. So put it in. Don't turn away and not put your part in. That's the real tragedies when we don't see each other anymore.
0: I just kept on thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I learned about in sociology or whatever, yeah. and just those, those basic needs of these families mm-hmm. that they don't have, and it's not that they're being lazy or whatever. But you like what you're yeah. saying that there's just not that job, and when you're talking about that mom, with should she re- breastfeed this child and pass on HIV, or or watch but, the baby starve to death? Yeah, it it puts into perspective of like. Because, you know, everyone always quotes, like, first of all, problems or whatever, like, yeah. for things that are dumb. But it's like, no, but really, we at, here in the United States have so much to be grateful for.
1: And we have different kinds of problems. You know, the one really beautiful thing that happens when people come on our on our teams with us, our teams are not about we're going to go over someplace and work. Our teams are about cultural exchange and personal growth and seeing other humans for the glorious divine beings that they are. And and what always happens to our, our team members have amazing paradigm shifts while they're over there. Some of it is gratitude. Some of it people just come away and say, wow, I'm just so grateful for what I have. But usually what happens is they have an interaction They're sitting with a woman, they're sitting with a child, they're sitting with a gentleman, they're sitting with someone, and that person says something to them that is so wise and so spot on that touches their heart, this person who thought, I came here because I have something to give you, and here this other person, this street boy, gave you something That was so priceless to you. And you recognize every human being has something of value to give. Everyone. So we don't take people on our teams. If people say, well, I want to go over and build latrines or I want to go over and build houses probably this isn't the right organization to go with. You will keep you plenty busy and you will work, but the purpose of the tri- trip is your personal growth. That's what I care about, is that your heart's going to be opened, that you're going to see the world differently, that you're going to see yourself differently, that you're going to recognize that the gift that you have to give to the planet is you. It's you. And that you are unique, and so is everyone else. And then you begin to look for what is the unique thing that this person gave me today? If you work in a grocery store, what is the unique thing that this person in the line gave me? And maybe it was a really crabby person who came through the line and said, "I can't believe you took thirty minutes to get to my order. Well, what's that person showing up to give you?" And having your heart be open to ask that question so that the answers can come. So when people go into Zambia with us, they have these beautiful, powerful experiences with people who are suffering and struggling and still find joy. And so you ask yourself the question, well, how can you find joy when your life is so horrible? Well, that's a really good question. Go ask someone who's in that situation. And as you're sitting with them and they're laughing and they're singing, it's not that they don't have pain and sorrow in their life, but they have found a way amidst the pain and the suffering and the sorrow to find joy and to find beauty and to be creative. And that blesses and benefits everybody. Because if you can walk away with that, so the things that plague us in our country, what would you say plagues us in our country more than anything else? As you look at the United States of America, what would you say plagues us?
0: I think a huge thing is comparison.
1: Yep. It's a big one, isn't it?
0: And just always instant gratification. Instant
1: gratification is a big one. Comparison's another one. Distraction is another one. Mm-hmm. We don't see each other. We don't look at each other in the eye. We don't walk past every person and say, that is a divine being who's contributing something amazing to the planet. We don't do that. We're busy. Our heads are down. We're in our phones. We're, and I have nothing against phones. I have one in my bag. I have my phone and my computer. So mm-hmm. I love technology. But we stop seeing each other and we stop caring about each other. And we stop remembering that we have something of value to give and that something you have to give is you. So when people come to Zambia, whatever they carry in their suitcases is greatly appreciated. The donations that they bring, greatly appreciated, enormously appreciated. But the most valuable thing they bring is themselves, their caring. So that when they look a mother in the eye who's suffering or has just experienced the terrible loss of a child or a family member – That other person sitting next to them with their arm around them and saying, I'm so sorry for your pain. I love you. I care about you. That, you can't put a price on that. And that's what connects us as humans. And when we're connected as humans, we become this creative force for good that all of a sudden becomes exponentially powerful. But it has to start with you seeing you and then you seeing others. So in our country, the people that go with us start off as the ones with all of the stuff, but they come back very, very different. They come back very, very different. And and so our team experience is something that's pretty extraordinary within the marketplace because it's unique. And our goal is to help you see yourself and see others in the highest light that you can. And so families approach me afterwards and say, oh my gosh, what did you do to my mom? You totally changed her. What'd you do to my daughter? What'd you do to my dad? What'd you do to my grandpa? Like he's a totally different person. (laughs) They did it themselves. I didn't do it. I just created a space where it could happen.
0: So what's the youngest age of kids that you have go over and help?
1: Well, we've taken some family teams Uh that are very specifically geared for people that are coming with small children. Um, I think the youngest we ever took was five or six. Okay. And um, the oldest person I think that's ever gone, I think she celebrated her 87th birthday while she was over there. So we get people from all walks of life and all ages. And we have a very diverse experience. So you spend some time in, in a village you'll interacting with the people in the village you'll spend some time in a in a very poor community going into homes and interacting with people and families in homes. Sometimes we spend at, at schools playing with the kids, interacting with the kids. Sometimes we're in um, baby care facilities. And then we spend some time in our facility, which is called the Mothers Without Borders Children's Resource Center, where we house about 35 to 40 children who have been found in crisis in their community uh, who have no safe families to be in. And That's probably the highlight for the volunteers, because they get to spend the most time there interacting with the kids and creating those relationships and doing physical work, too. So we we do a, a, a kind of a mix of physical labor and human interactions, cultural exchange, so you get to know the culture, and so they get to know our culture, and developing relationships. And that's what it's all about. It's about 11 days in length, and then we recommend people um, take a side trip and either go to Victoria Falls or go on Safari so that you kind of you see the most horrible things that people create, but then you get to see the beauties that are in nature mm-hmm. too. So it's,
0: it's it's a nice mix. If you go somewhere and you're just building the whole time, that's, like, so great. You know, they, they need these buildings. They need the running water. But, like, what you talked about when you're actually talking to these people and hearing their stories. So yeah. what have been some of your most memorable friendships that you've made over there? Because if you're going over there a lot, are there people that you get to know pretty well, or are you always in Absolutely.
1: Areas? And you know, it's interesting because even our team members, when they just go over one time, they develop these really strong friendships. It's really beautiful to see. And of course, I've been going into this one area in Africa for 18 years. So I have a lot of, it's like my home away from home. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I go there, they'll say, welcome home. You know, why did you take three months to come back home? Mm-hmm. So it is, it's very much my home. And I have a lot of very dear dear friendships which also means when you're in an area that has such a high incidence of HIV and AIDS and poverty and other poverty induced killers i have also had the real sacred opportunity of burying a lot of people that were very dear to me that that's tough that's a tough part that's a tough part to have that happen but Some of the really powerful, significant things that have happened with different individuals, we had a volunteer on one of our teams a number of years ago, an older woman. Uh, She was retired. I I think she might have been in her, she was probably in her late 60s. And she was on this team. As we go in and interact, you you never know who you're going to be drawn to. But she was drawn to this particular young woman, which a little bit surprised me because this young woman was probably 19. Okay, and uh, so I was surprised that she took such... A shine to this young woman, but she did. And she would talk to me about her a lot and say, tell me about Patricia. This woman would say, tell me about Patricia. Tell me her story. Tell me what's going on with her. And as it happened, Patricia was a young woman who had gotten involved with a young man when she was a teenager, which is not uncommon anywhere in the world, and had a baby. Had a baby when she was quite young. She was probably 16 when she had her baby, and she married this young man. And as it happened, he was very abusive. He he would beat her. And so she came to us at Mothers Without Borders. She came to our our farm. She lived nearby the farm. And she came and she actually asked our the social worker, the Zambian social worker who presided over our program, she said, I want you to take my two-year-old son. This is when she was about 18. She said, I want you to take my two-year-old son into your facility because I'm afraid my husband's going to kill me. And I, I don't want my son just left on the street or alone. And so our social worker very lovingly explained to her, no, no, we don't separate children from their parents whenever possible. Then that little boy needs you. And why don't you come into our facility and we'll not come and live there, but come in every day and I'll give you a job. And what if I gave you a job and you could come for counseling? And so they worked together over the course of the next year. And through that counseling that the Zambian social worker did with this young woman, she was able to break free of that abusive relationship. And um, she had a job with us, and she she was acting as one of our assistant cooks for the school. We have a school that offers education to over 350 of the local children there that would otherwise never be able to go to school. And so this young woman was cooking for us, and this... This one volunteer really took an interest in her. And they would sit for hours and talk while Patricia was cooking the food. One day this volunteer came to me and she said, did you know that Patricia wanted to go back to school? She was never able to complete her secondary school education, which is 10th, 11th, 12th grade. I said, I didn't know that. And she said, yeah, she has a really burning desire to go back to school. Would it be all right if I if I sponsored her? Through Mothers Without Borders. And I said, Of course, that would be beautiful. So she sponsored this young woman to finish her secondary school education. And through, and she went through an accelerated program. She finished quite quickly. She finished in about a year and a half. Very bright girl. And she was so proud of being able to finish and get her grade 12 certificate. Well, through this, of course, I spent a lot of time talking with her and saying, What do you? What do you want to be? Because we ask the kids all the time, "What do you want to be when you complete your education?" And she just jumped right in and she said, "I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher." And I thought, I don't know if that's going to be possible, but I didn't say that out loud to her. Mm-hmm. But I thought, oh, I don't know if that's going to be possible, but it would be. It would be so great. Wait, why wouldn't it be possible? Um, because she has this small son, and she would have to go away to teachers' college, and oh, and it's expensive. So it's farther and away. Yeah, there were just a lot of obstacles and I didn't know if this donor, if this, this volunteer who was a woman who was living on social security. And I didn't know if this woman would want to expend the money to put her through teacher's college, which is expensive. It's, it's many thousands of dollars a year for them to go through teacher's college. So I just kept quiet and I, I wanted her to keep that dream alive. Well, As it happened, this this woman who had been on one of our teams was really committed to this young girl. And that's one of the real important things for people to know is it's important that we commit to each other for the long term, just like you do with your own kids. You don't just commit to your kids for the first five years, although sometimes as a young mother, you wish <laughs> you could, but you don't, you commit, right? For their whole lifetime. And so this woman did, she committed to Patricia. And now um, when we opened our new school in January of 2017, standing on the porch as one of our early education teachers was Patricia.
0: That's so great. Yeah. And so those
1: are the kinds of experiences that touch my heart in a way that are very, I can't quantify it or really explain it, except somebody's dream came true because somebody else from the Midwest who met her for 11 days believed in her and believed in her dream. And they formed this partnership through Mothers Without Borders that made this little girl's dream come true. And now she's a teacher at our school. And her son's in our school, and she has a really great life. You know now, are they still poor? Yes. Do they still struggle? Yes. Is she happy? Oh, yes. And so does it matter if you can only help one person? Well, it matters to Patricia. It matters to Patricia that somebody saw her and that somebody cared enough about her to make her dream important to them. And that's what happened in this setting. And so that happens over and over again. We, we had a young man that came to us from the streets. He was brought to us by the social workers that, you know, round up kids that live on the street. We have no idea anything about his parents. He had a very violent beginning. He was very badly abused from the time he was, maybe he was on the street since he was three. And from the time he was three until he was nine, he was very badly abused in every way that you can imagine. And it damaged and broke a lot of parts of him, this little boy whose name was Harrison. And when he came to us, he was very violent and very, he wouldn't talk. I don't think he spoke for a year. And and it was sad, so, so sad. And we didn't know, how. what are we going to do to help him? How can we help him? The local people there, we, we always only hire local people. So all the people that are in our employ there are Zambians. And the Zamians just kept saying to me, I said, are you guys worried? You know, like, what are you going to do for him? And they just kept saying, Kathy, he just needs to be loved. He just needs to be loved. And he he needs to be treated with dignity. And he needs to be respected. And he'll come around. And I wasn't sure. I'll be honest. I wasn't sure. Um, And I watched over the years. This happened about nine years ago he came in. And so for the last nine years, he's been in our care. And he kept progressing through school, surprised everybody. Nobody thought he would make it. He'd never been in school. He was nine years old, never, been, never sat at a desk, never been in school, wouldn't speak, was clearly had some development disabilities from, his, from the terrible abuse he'd experienced. But today, he's finished his grade nine. He's in a trade school to learn to become an auto mechanic. He has an apprenticeship with a really good Zambian friend of ours who runs an auto mechanic shop, who is taking him under his wing. This boy's nineteen years old now, eighteen years old. It's amazing. I, I saw him two weeks ago, and he's smiling. He has been talking. He just didn't talk for first year, sure.
0: mm-hmm. but he's
1: still very. He he doesn't say a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I saw him and, you know, he hugged me and, and was excited talking to me about his school. And I thought, this child has transformed. He's, he had a dream and somebody believed in his dream. He's had a, a donor that's, that's helped to sponsor him for the last nine years. And other people, you know, multiple donors coming together. And it's, you know, people putting in $25 a month, $35 a month. And they're changing these children's lives. They're giving them hope and they're giving them an opportunity and they're providing a life for them. And so when you're sitting at home and you think, oh, how can I, okay, I'm going to write you a check for $35, blah, blah, blah. How's that really going to help? Well, ask Harrison how it's going to help. Ask Patricia how it's going to help. Or any one of the other hundreds of kids that we're educating and helping right now. Ask them if their dreams are important. Their dreams of becoming a nurse or a teacher or a social worker or a journalist. Everybody's important. And that's really the message of Mothers Without Borders is how do we bring people together so that people that have resources have an opportunity to find people that have dreams and let those dreams become your dreams. And then together, just miracles happen all over the place.
0: This podcast, so the tagline is put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Oh, that's so awesome. And so everything that you're saying, I'm like, yeah. yeah,
1: I love this. <laughs> and that's really what it is, right? The yeah. first thing you got to is put on your shoes. Yeah. And just do your best because that's all you can ever do. Mm-hmm. And I promise you that woman who thought she was just going to spend the $50 a month – sponsoring Patricia had no idea. You are not just changing Patricia's life. You're changing her son's life. You're changing all of her students' lives. You're infusing hope into this otherwise hopeless situation. And that's what happens when you put on your shoes and you do your best and you believe in the impossible. And think if... One, 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 we do that.
0: Yeah, the ripple effect is huge. Yeah,
1: it's like, and it's always enough. And this is what I I, I try to end every day with our volunteers because we have sharing meetings at night where people have an opportunity to talk about what they experienced that day and how it made them feel and what they learned from it. And at the end of the day, because the problems we, we face in the work that we do at Mothers Without Borders are so big and so overwhelming, is I always end by saying, whatever you did today it was enough for today. And maybe tomorrow you'll get another one. But whatever you do today, it is always enough for today. And coming to a belief about that will change your life. And it will take away overwhelm. It will take away feelings of hopelessness and insignificance and inadequacy, which we all struggle with. All of us, I struggle with it. But that understanding that, okay, today was kind of a stand down day. I yelled at four people. I didn't get out of bed before 1130. I didn't get a thing done around my house. I didn't answer any of those emails. I committed to answer. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But whatever I did do for that day, it was enough for today. And maybe tomorrow I'll get another.
0: I had a conversation today with a friend about perfectionism and how sometimes she doesn't want to start something until it's perfect and and I really love that philosophy of whatever you do today is enough for today and and I guess how's that transition as you're like you're there and you're what you're doing while you're there twenty four seven is serving but when you come here back home do you <laughs> is it just such a weird culture
1: shock or it was in the beginning. It definitely was in the beginning. I, I had very difficult time doing the transition, and it was much harder coming back here than going over there, whether over there was India or Indonesia, because I've worked in probably I, – I lost track, but maybe 20 countries. I don't know how many. I've worked all over the world, and every time coming back into my space was the bigger transition until I realized, well, wherever I go – I just take me, which makes wherever I am in that moment home. doesn't matter where I am. If I'm in the grocery store, I'm at home in the grocery store. If I'm on a plane, I'm at home on the plane because I take me and I take everything that is me and it's just the geography that changes. It's just my surroundings that change and I change as I evolve and as I see people and as I allow experiences to increase whatever bit of wisdom I've been able to grab up over the years and and receive so I I do understand especially when people first go it's very culture shocky it's very overwhelming when they step back into their into the world here uh, part of it's the pace people in developing countries tend to move at a much, Slower, more intentional pace. We're really frantic here. We're really
0: like
1: we're really mad here. Madness, madness, madness. You go into these places and it's peaceful. The first thing we do when you come and go with us is we we take all your technology. Now we tell you ahead of time: you will have no access to technology when you're over here. You're going to be in the moment, every moment, and that is excruciating
0: for a lot of people. Especially teenagers with their families.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, you'd be shocked though that the teenagers settle into it. And then when the day comes that I bring the cell phones out, a lot of them say, do I have to take that back? Because they recognize what it's done to them. Mm -hmm. They recognize how how it's separated them from their own humanity and from other people's humanity, and from the things that really bring them joy. So it's it's really an interesting thing. The culture shock thing. Recognizing that the value that I have to offer the Earth is the love and compassion that I'm willing to share, and I can share that wherever I am. And the people that I run into in the Target store in Orem, Utah, are no less important in the universe than a woman and her children in a village in India or in Africa or in a mountain area in Bolivia. Everybody is of equal importance and value. So the love and compassion that I can offer here is of equal value. It's just my life here is easier in that I like sleeping in a bed with clean sheets. Mm-hmm. I like not having cockroaches Share the time with me. Oh man, um, I like not having to sleep under a mosquito net so that I don't get malaria or some other hideous thing that I've had the pleasure of experiencing seven or eight times. I like having running water. I really like having a toilet that flushes. I adore having a toilet that flushes. Close, close. Yeah, I don't have to go outside and brave the snakes you know, and the biting ants to get to the toilet. It's like, this is awesome. I mm-hmm. love this. But me being in a space of trying to always have my heart open in love and compassion is as, ch- it's challenging here in a different way. And just let me make a really quick point that I want, that hopefully people will really hear this with their hearts. Just because someone's pain is greater than yours, it doesn't diminish your pain. Oh, I like And that. it does not make your pain insignificant or unimportant to the forces in the universe that are there. So whatever you believe in, in the forces of the universe, whether you believe in God, whether you just believe in angels, whether you just believe in a higher force, whether you just believe in nature, there are forces at work in the universe that love you and care about you and that, and and to whom you're of extraordinary importance and your pain is of value. So if you are listening and you say, well, gosh, I have so much. I've got this nice house and we've got plenty of money and my kids are healthy and I'm healthy and I, and you struggle with anxiety or you struggle with depression or you're worried about a family member who is struggling with addiction, that pain is absolutely real and must be honored and must be honored by you, first of all. And then recognize that there are other people on the planet that if they will join you in compassion, in just honoring your pain, that that is what makes pain bearable. It's not a contest and it's not a competition to see who has the worst pain. That's that's just not true. When a mother loses a child anywhere on the planet, their pain is exquisite. It doesn't matter whether they have money or they don't. It doesn't matter whether they have a partner or they don't. It doesn't matter. That pain is exquisite. And whatever you're struggling with, and each one of us is struggling with something that can knock us on the ground. And so we have to take care with each other and be kind and be compassionate and say, I don't know what that person's struggling with, but they have something. And I can offer love and compassion to that person. And it's not a competition. It's not like, oh, well, come over here and see how people are suffering worse than you, and then you won't suffer anymore. It doesn't really work that way. But you do learn that, well, if that person can manage their suffering and their struggling and learn from it, perhaps I can too. And you begin to look at suffering and struggle as a very wise and caring teacher rather than an enemy. So no one and nothing is your enemy. Everything is your teacher. And if you can alter the relationship you have with those things, it changes your ability to carry the weight and to learn and to become better as you move through it. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, totally. That's like mic drop right there, perfect for <laughs> But, but really, I, I really like that you acknowledge that everyone has something that, that we're struggling with. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. But, but that's like the wonderful thing when we can come together and, and be vulnerable and share, hey, this is what I'm struggling with and have those raw conversations that it really does build. Yeah, Connections. That's heart to heart. The time has gone by so fast. It's already been 58 minutes. That happens when, that happens when <laughs> I, I start know. yapping. Before we end though, so with I Mothers know. Without Borders, so you guys have a school in Zambia yeah. where there, you have 300 students.
1: About 370 students. Oh, 370. We've got about 45 other kids that are in secondary school. We've got a number of kids in trade school and colleges. Um, we support villages and community development. We support women's empowerment issues. We've got... Uh, a female education program to offer education to underserved girls. We've got a lot of different projects going on. You can visit our website. It's motherswithoutborders.org. O-R-G. You can Google us, Mothers Without Borders, like our Facebook page, look at our, you know, join our Instagram group, come on a trip with us. You can find all that information there. Become a monthly donor. Huge. I mean, $35 a month changes lives. Just Plain, we call it the miracle of community because it is a miracle of community, that we come together as a community of caring humans saying, I'm going to make a difference in the world, and it matters. So people can have me come and speak. If somebody wants to have me come and speak to a group, they can find out online how to do that um, or by calling our office. And there's lots of ways to get engaged. If you want to be involved and being engaged, and if this if this message resonates with you, then
0: get a hold of us. The best thing for these people that you're helping is donations, money donations, or is there any like items that yeah, you can Yeah, a lot of times
1: we take over things like hygiene items, toothbrushes, toothpaste, baby clothes, new baby clothes. We we have a project for to give women work where we, we send over items that then they can go out and start a small business by selling them. So we have a very specific list you can get it from our office or you can get it online we don't typically take used clothes just because it messes up their economy yeah. but but we've got a long list of things we take so if you're interested in collecting items or donating items contact our office and ask them
0: okay and is formula on that list
1: Sometimes. Sometimes we can take formula in and sometimes we can't. Sometimes we need to buy it there because uh, it's formulated differently, which
0: interesting idiot me.
1: I didn't even know that until yeah. I took over a bunch of American formula and some of the babies got sick. And then a scientist friend of mine said, well, no, yeah, it has to be formulated for them. And I went, oh. Oh, because
0: after that story, I'm like, give them give him all the formula. But
1: we have a formula
0: bank. We have uh-huh. a bank,
1: and we uh, people can make donations specifically to that, and then we buy formula there locally, and people who need it get it.
0: Okay, well, so many ways yeah. to get involved, yeah. and this has just inspired me to like look around and see ways that I can serve in everyday life, and and maybe to unplug too, because I I feel like when I first started writing tracks, I would get on and I would talk to people, and people at first would be like. I want to do my thing. And so since that was the norm, I sort of was like, well, I'll just edit the podcast while I'm there. But, but talking to you, I'm like, no, there's always so many people to connect with and to just be open to those opportunities.
1: Yeah. Just follow your heart and connect with whoever's in front of you in that moment because they're in front of you for a reason. And so follow your heart.
0: So, well, thank you so much, Kathy. And, and Tanner's so right. You had the best stories to share and, (laughs) and it's just been so much fun. Thank you. Well, guys, remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming.
1: All my dreams are coming true. Música